Hi, this is Craig Valentine, host of Early to Rise Radio. Have you ever wanted to become wealthier, healthier, wiser, or just have more time to appreciate the finer things in life? On this show, we reveal what high performers are doing every day to be more successful without sacrificing their personal lives. Early to Rise Radio is sponsored by The Perfect Day Formula. Get your free copy of this game-changing success guide at freeperfectdaybook.com. Now let's get started with today's show. Dan Martell, welcome to the show. This is going to be a lot of fun. Craig, I'm uh, I'm pumped to be here. Super honored. And I will, I will make a commitment that I'm going to try to make this one of the most insightful and valuable podcast episodes you've ever done. And I know you've done tons, so it's a big order, but we're going to... Or at least shoot our shot or at least call it. Well, you know, one of my goals is going to be um, the same goal that I had when I had Ed Milet in my podcast. And you and Dan and I were just talking about Ed before this because, uh, you know, Ed's a, a legend. And my goal was to ask Ed a question he had never been asked before. And I pulled it off. So I'm going to try and ask you. I know you're probably doing the the, the rounds of these podcasts. So I'm going to try and uh, ask you a question that you've never been asked before. But I want to start with something basic, which is who are you? What do you do? Where are you from and where are you living now? Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm Dan Martell. Uh, I am the CEO of SaaS Academy, which is the largest CEO coaching company for software entrepreneurs. So B2B SaaS. We've coached a lot of people in this space. So like Alex from Ozzy, a lot of people know Alex uh, from Hyveros. He just exited for 110 million. I've coached... Oh, Alex Becker? Yeah. Yeah. He just uh, did a SPAC. Um, so that was really fun working with him. Um Everybody from Garrett J. White, Ryan Levesque, Ryan Dice. I mean, as you know, anybody in software world uh, in internet marketing, they usually find me. Yeah. That's been my 25 years of just like starting off writing code. But so SaaS Academy is, is kind of like my passion area in my life. And then I have my investment uh, world, which is high-speed ventures. So I've invested in 50 plus software companies. Uh, one just went public last week, get it around. I've invested in like Intercom, Udemy, uh, Unbounce, like just amazing founders and super blessed there. And then um, I pretty much share everything I know online for free. That's that's kind of my MO. I just put it out. As soon as I learn something cool or new, I put it out in the world. And and then um, that's that's kind of what I do day to day. Yeah, I watched one of your YouTube videos last week and I was like, oh man, this guy is speaking my language because because the cool thing in your book, Buyback Time. So we are talking about, we're going to talk a lot about Dan's new book, Buyback Time, which is uh, out this January and you want to uh, be able to get a copy of it. And we'll talk about, I mean, it's all on Amazon. But is there a specific site that you want people to go to? Buybackyourtime.com is the best, uh, Craig, because I literally, my publisher wouldn't let me put a lot of certain diagrams and frameworks. So I created kind of like the downloads. So you can go buy it on any one of your sites and just come back and just go redeem all those bonuses. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of cool stuff that we're going to talk about because Dan runs his empire in, well, he runs the SaaS empire in six hours a week. Uh, in regards to the amount of time I'm on a call. Yes. Okay. But it's, it's, it's interesting because like somebody asked me that the other day, like how much time do you spend running the company? I only have two direct reports, my CRO and my COO. So yes, it's six hours, but like, you know, I read a lot. I, talk to a lot of smart entrepreneurs. Like, you know, like I've been a fan of your stuff, Craig, as I mentioned earlier for years. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm an avid learner. So it's kind of, it's kind of funny because what's work when essentially I get paid for insights. And if I'm studying and talking to other entrepreneurs to, to gain new insights to bring to my clients, um, is that really work? So I don't want to yeah. mislead people, but right. Yeah, and then and, operating. And then, you, you know, you're, 
for, you know, I've seen your social media posts and all this stuff you're, you're doing, you've done an Ironman or you're training for one? I've done five. I did uh, uh, two halves and a full this summer. Um, next year, I'm switching over to Spartan races and uh, 50K Ultra. So yeah, oh, cool. pretty active. I train in, you know, off season right now is about... 10 hours a week. And then, you know, at the peak, it's like 25, but, but the, I, the yeah. reason why I ask you that is because I would imagine like you are working while you're on the bike, like, because you're thinking problem solving stuff like that. Like, so would that be true? A little bit. Not only that, I actually, we can walk through a bunch of different ways. I call it net time. Like I literally just got back from a workout with two of my coaching clients so like technically I was working, but they just happened to live in Kelowna. That, and you asked me where I'm from, originally from the East coast of Canada, spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley and obviously the software Disneyland, and then uh, live now in Kelowna, BC on the West coast of Canada. Yeah. So I do have like, I don't know, probably a dozen clients in the city. So like, I always, I always put things together. So I like, honestly, right. when I was training for Ironman, my running partner was a client. So like, you know, we're obviously doing meetings that way. Yeah. Um, my inside, I have a, a gym in my house, the pain cave. And like, I have a bike set up with Zwift and literally, uh, all my internal meetings, any, any meeting requests that somebody asked of me, I did on my bike for training, uh, during my like peak training times. So like, cause you got to do three, four hour sessions, you might as yeah. well be talking to somebody. It just helps things get by. So I'm always looking for ways to kind of compress things together. Well, I'm grateful that you didn't uh, do this podcast. on the No, today. no, no. Podcast. <laughs> definitely not. No heavy breathing and uh, spandex do not work well. <laughs> there you go. So now before we get into the time secrets, because you know, people listen to my stuff, always want to hear about uh, being more productive. I actually have a parenting question for you, but before we even get into the parenting question, I want you to tell the, I want you to tell the story that's in your book about when you were younger and how you got into trouble, because I have a very important question to follow up on that. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a pretty uh, dark place. Um, my mom was an alcoholic. Dad was in sales. So I was second oldest of four kind of got diagnosed with ADHD, you know, anger issues at a very young age. Um, when I was 11, I actually got taken out of my home and put into crisis, uh, unit for a couple months and then put into foster care and, and pretty much between the ages of 11 and 13, 14, I was in and out of the system. Um, eventually I, I got released to, uh, back to my parents. Then they got divorced. Then I got put into foster or group homes because I got in trouble with the law. And like, I just kind of went through this pattern of just like feeling super, um, self, like I didn't have any self-worth. And then also just like, I honestly grew up believing I was broken because I was like taking this pill that, you know, Adderall at the time that people or sorry, Ritalin at the time that people said, like, if you don't take this, like you can't come to school. And wow. so I always felt broken. And, um, what happened was, is, um, I ended up in prison or juvenile detention when I was 15, got out and thought I'd sober up and change my life. And things just spiraled out of control to a place where I had, uh, stolen the car. I was high and drunk and I had a handgun uh, in a backpack sitting next to me. And I told myself the cops catch me or stop me. I'm going to pull the gun and let them do their, their job. And I ended wow. up uh, taking a routine roadblock and, and got into a high-speed chase. Probably, and this is in uh, Sussex, New Brunswick, if you know New Brunswick at all, but um, ended up in a neighborhood and thought I could kind of like hide out in a garage. Um, and I came in way too fast into this guy's yard and smashed in the side of the house and wasn't wearing a seatbelt and airbags go off. And I went for the gun and, um, 
yeah, for whatever reason, I was just pulling on it, just got stuck and kept pulling on it and pulling on it. And eventually the cops opened the door, grabbed me and you know, I essentially floated across the front lawn that my feet didn't touch the ground. And wow. I woke up sober the next day. Um, honestly wondering what my life was going to look like. I was, I was in a dark spot and I started praying and said, if anybody's looking out, I could use some help. Don't know who you are or what you, what, you know, but, um, and I was just like willing to be, you know, just good. There was no grand scheme or anything. And I ended up in prison for six months in an adult facility in St. John, New Brunswick, um, because they had these two, um, juvenile, uh, blocks like cell blocks. And, um, after that, uh, I worked on myself and like kind of had good behavior release. I got released to a rehab center for 11 months to kind of finish out a two year sentence and got wow. out some time, but, um, this place called Portage and, uh, literally that place saved my life. It kind of allowed me to understand my emotions and my story and the meaning I would, had created and my anger issues and rebuilt the trust with my family and help my family heal and just work through a lot of the trauma that I'd uh, experienced. And at the end of that program, I was helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out one of the cabins because it was built on an old church camp. And in one of the rooms, there was a old 486 computer and a yellow book on Java programming sitting next to it. And I just opened up this book thinking like, you know, it's probably like ones and zeros or hieroglyphics, like, you know, it's computer, it says programming, software programming. And, uh, it, it read like English, you know, if anybody's ever seen JavaScript, that's what Java looks like. And I just followed the book chapter one, got the computer started. And after about 20 minutes, I got the computer to say, hello world. Wow. And I thought maybe, maybe I know, like, it was so weird. I had this like belief that maybe my brain is broken because I'd made so many bad decisions that like, maybe I'm like a secret back then. I don't know if you remember who Doogie Hauser was, but like, I thought yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. Doogie, yeah, I was like the Doogie Hauser. Like it, it made no sense. Okay. But it honestly didn't matter. What happened is software became my new obsession. I literally would code for dozens of hours at a time till two or three in the morning. You know, wow. when I got out, my dad was just so excited that I'd found something I was passionate about that wasn't illegal. He'd been begging for that for years. <laughs> and and then I just, you know, I'd always been entrepreneurial as you can imagine, you know, like living on the streets and like, you know, yeah. running, running certain crowds of people. I had entrepreneurial traits and, um, I just started building software products for myself, for my friends, for, you know, eventually my dad. And that's, that's how I've, you know, since then I've built five companies, exited three, um, two were venture backed out of Silicon Valley, you know, all my investments and now coach over 3000 software CEOs. It's kind of, it's kind of nuts to like, look back at my life over the last 25 years to kind of how it looks like today. I mean, it's two different worlds. And it's, it's pretty powerful. And I remember from the book, there, there was also another kind of inciting incident where uh, I may have the gentleman's name wrong, but I think it was Brian, Brian, Brian yeah. a security guard or something. And he asked, what did he ask you? And, and how pivotal was that moment for you? Yeah. I mean, that was like the moment that the belief inside shifted. I had gotten in a fight with this kid named Kurt over coffee of all things, but in prison, you know, it doesn't take much. Mm -hmm. Ended up um, getting sentenced to the hole, which is solitary confinement for three days. Third day, door opens, it's Brian. He's sitting there shaking his head, super disappointed. He, had, he was on vacation uh, when the fight happened. He just says, follow me and I'm following him. And like Brian was one of those, he was a, one of the prison guards that, um, you know, like, he would look the other way, but if you respected him, he would 
you know, let you get a second dessert or stay up a little bit later or whatever, you know, like he wasn't strict, like a lot of the other guards. So a lot of guys, a lot of people, a lot of the inmates just, um, had a lot of his respect. They respected him. And so, you know, I could tell he was disappointed because he'd saw me trying to like stay out of stuff and keep to myself. And he, uh, walks me back to the, the cell block and we end up going past the door, which is usually where we enter into the other door, which is the guard unit and the guard unit overlooks. We'd never seen inside. We're not supposed to be in there. It's the one way mirror. It's the inside of the one way mirror. And he asked me to sit down and, um, he just asked me, he goes, he looks, he looks at me. He goes, what are you doing here? And I go, well, I got in a fight with Kurt, you know, and he goes, no, not that. He goes, what are you doing here in jail? And I was like, well, I got in a high speed chase and I had guns and my track, you know, my record. And he goes, he goes, no, not that Dan. He goes, I've been watching you stay out of trouble and I've been working here for a decade and I've seen a ton of kids just like you. And I want you to know that I have like, it makes no sense that you're here and you don't belong here and you're not like the rest of the kids. And I don't know if it was like, nobody had ever said something like that in my life at that point, but there's just something because he didn't have to do it. Like literally it wasn't even his job to like take me out of the hole. Right. It was somebody else's. And like, he didn't have to pull me aside and share this with me. And it's just like, internally, it's just like something snapped where I was like, well, if Brian sees this and he would know, cause he's seen hundreds of kids come through this program. Like maybe he's right. And I just started this seed of belief that like, okay, I don't belong here. Cause like growing up, Craig, I, I, like, I knew I wasn't a bad kid. I knew I did bad things. You know, like every kid in my neighborhood wasn't allowed to play with me because I was that kid. I'd have to like wow. hide in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. I had to hide in the woods. Like my neighbor, Chris Lyons, parents, no, Dan, you can play with Pierre and Mo, my two brothers, not Dan. I was that kid in my neighborhood. Huh. So like for, for years, I just always felt like I was, I was like labeled. I was like the black sheep or like I had a cloud over me or just there was something like, but I, but inside I was like, I'm kind of a, like, I have a kind heart. I know I do bad things, but it's not who I was. And like, Brian just believed in me in a way that I didn't even believe in myself and just started to essentially, you know, plant that seed that has now become kind of core to who I am. I mean, my favorite thing to do in other people is uh, I tell them about them. I tell them about the genius I see inside of them because um, it takes nothing. It costs nothing. And it can be some of the most powerful things you can do to a stranger, to your kids. I mean, you talk about kids. I do this. If my kids were here and you brought them in here, they would be like, Noah, last night I was putting them to bed. And he goes, why do you always tell me about me? And I was like, because you're such a cool little dude. And, and, and I could tell when I do that, he wants me to do it. So he like, he uses a way to say like, don't do it. But then then I'm like, but do you know this part about you, but how creative you are when you play your board games? And I, and I just think like the, the power of believing in others is just such a, a, a simple yet profound opportunity that I know changed my life, saved my life. You know, Brian, literally that one conversation that he didn't have to have absolutely changed everything. And then so many other people poured into me after that, that, um, I wouldn't be here today. Like that's just the reality, Craig. I was, I, you know, most people don't go to jail twice, you know, before they're adults and make it through the system. Like I met yeah. many of those kids there and many of the people I used to spend time with as a teenager, they're just not alive. Like yeah. they just made bad decisions at wrong times that cost them their lives. And I know how, 
how lucky I am. And I just, every day I wake up just to try to, to honor the people that have showed up. Man, that's a heck of a story and a powerful, powerful lessons. And, and so I think you have almost kind of answered my question, but maybe there's a little bit more I can squeeze out of you here because my question for you is this, we have so many listeners out there who are parents who work with young people. They may have teenage children. They're worried about them because they're in trouble. They're worried about them getting into trouble. And what is your advice to those parents, those leaders, those teachers, those gym coaches, those personal trainers, those sport coaches? Yeah. I mean, different phases of the journey requires different approaches. You know, I get the call every week from parents that are struggling with a teenager. I mean, just posted about this yesterday, a mom, you know, her 32 year old son, business owner, six months ago, got introduced to cocaine and like literally 200 grand in debt about to lose his business. I mean, it's just how quick addiction can just take somebody that otherwise was a absolutely incredible soul and vibrant and joyful and productive and compassionate and consistent and disciplined to just ripping all that out of who they truly are. Um, my answer to her was a little different because it was tough. Cause I talked to her about like being there for them under the right constraints. Cause the challenges is when somebody is addicted, they're, they have a sickness, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, if you don't, um, show up the right way, you can actually inadvertently feed the addiction, right? So being a codependent mom and the, and these are tough because, because like usually once addiction pulls onto somebody, the best you can do is just hope that by setting these constraints and these, these boundaries that they'll hit rock bottom in their mind and then seek help. Right. There's just, there's really nothing you can do. And most parents do the opposite of what is actually helpful which is try to help the person stay out of trouble, lend them money, go pick them up out of prison. I mean, my dad told me the first time I went to prison, he visited and he said, if I ever do it again, he's not coming to visit. And true to his word, he didn't visit me once for six months. And as a dad, I can't even imagine how hard that was. Mm -hmm. Like, like we've had some serious conversations since then. Today's like my hero. He literally comes to my events and all my clients love him. Call him Fit Vic. Um, But in that moment, he did what he knew was right for me. I didn't, I wasn't happy about it, but in hindsight, like I have the best dad in the world, like he was doing. So there's that part. And then there's, you know, before, you know, when you have an opportunity to influence your kids, because usually between the ages of 13 to like 19, and there's a bunch of research on this is a child will start to look outside the family unit for their identity right? Up until that age, they're essentially the identity of the family and the family unit is part of who they are. And so like you have an opportunity to influence them. And I think the number one thing, this is why like people ask me like, do you let your kids on iPads? Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you let them play video? Like the number one thing I can do for my kid is to create their self-worth period, full stop. Like that's it. Like my number one job is to make sure that my kid has is high of a self-esteem, self-worth, um, and obviously skills like critical thinking and, and other problem solving and just social skills. But if they have that, then I think it counteracts the social media comparison game, it counteracts the body shaming, it counteracts the depression, it counteracts the trying to find happiness in other people's acceptance, right? Like I think for me, that's that's the big thing. And, and I do that, you know, by essentially telling my kids not. I don't praise them for outcomes. I praise them for effort. 
So I hope, I hope people understand the difference there. Like, you know, if my son wins or loses a soccer game, it doesn't change anything that he wants. Hey, did you see this? Did you see that? And, and then I always reframe myself. That was amazing. But you know what I'm most proud of you for Noah or Max is that you showed up in practice and you were consistent and you passed the ball and just, you were, you showed up as somebody who had a winning mentality. And I always praise the effort in the process. I don't praise the outcome. And this comes from Carol Dweck's uh, research. You know, she, she wrote the book, Growth Mindset. And she says this is like, if, cause then they're, they're not, cause life isn't about an outcome, right? Craig, you know, this, it's like the mountaintop is not the mountaintop. It's the person you get to become along the journey to get to the mountaintop. And we all know that once we get there, we actually start looking around for the next mountaintop. So right. that can't be the thing we anchor our self-worth on. But what we can is reminding them, and this is something my, my buddy Todd Herman shared with me because we both had kids at the same age. And he, and he said, like, when I'm hiking with my kids, I'll stop halfway and I'll turn around and I'll point to where we started and praise them for the distance they've covered, not talk about the gap to the top because most people don't do that. And that's actually available to anybody at any stage of where they're at, right? Like, I remember one time somebody said to me, they go, um, you can't forget that your darkest days today as a business owner is somebody else's dream. Right. Isn't that crazy? Like, we're That's like, great oh point. my God. It's a great point. Because like, there was a day when we didn't have a business and we wanted a business and we were trying to start and we might've failed. And, and to have anybody that has a business with employees is like this crazy, like future dream they have. And that's your reality potentially today. And that, or if you live in a country that allows you to even create a business, you know, there's parts of Eastern Europe and others that you just, you can't even start a business. Let's say I have like 50 grand, you know, Haiti, same thing. I've been there. Like, and so like, no matter where you're at, no matter how tough it is, even your physical shape, like some people are like, Oh, I'm 20 pounds overweight. It's like, you are literally somebody's dream body. Right. Right. And I just think that that for me as a dad is kind of an area that I try to speak into my kids. And I know it's precious time. That's not going to be there forever. Um, but yeah, How old are you boys? they're nine and 10 today. Wow. 11 months apart. Irish twins. That was a crazy period. <laughs> I used that phrase to my wife the other day, Irish twins. Um, our, ours will be 18 months apart, but, uh, yeah, 11 months apart. That's, that's funny. Nuts dude. Imagine like you have a newborn. Yeah. I think it was like, a month after we had the first, my wife's or yeah, three, was it three months? He was born. I, I can't do the math, but it was like, she just kind of got past having our first. And then it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm pregnant again. I'm like, yeah. wow, that's going to be fun. Yeah. That's yeah. like having twins, but two different pregnancies, which is always a joy. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, amazing. Amazing. This has been so helpful uh, to me already. And I know to everybody listening, so let's get into the the time stuff. And so you've, you talk about, well, I'm, I'm just going to read a part of your book that really hit me, which is you talk about how there's a little known secret to reaching the next stage of your business is spending time on only the tasks that A, you excel at, B, you truly enjoy, and C, add the highest value, usually in the form of revenue to your business. And then there's likely two or three tasks that hit uh, that fit this description. And every other task that you're handling is slowing your growth and sucking the life from you, and you should clear it from your calendar. Now, sounds amazing, right? How, how does one start doing that when they're kind of the solopreneur? And how did you start doing it? And how can our listeners start doing it? Yeah, I mean... The, the story for me, 
is I didn't know that I should do this. And I built a company sphere. It was my third company. The first two are failures. So I just started young, 17, then 20 when I started MB Host. Then I was 24 when I finally gave it another shot. And by like real earnest shot, like life savings in all those like 10K line of credit on the second one. Like this wasn't like side hustles. Like I was like, my dad was like, maybe you should get a normal job. And I'm like, it's not going to work for me. I know me, I'm too opinionated. I'm not going to be able... So I was doing contract work as a software developer for a while. At 24, I finally hired a business coach, this guy named Bob Simpson. Uh, he was an e-myth coach. Uh, I read the email. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, I need this. I need, I need to build a business different because that's definitely not how I'm doing it. And over a four-year period, I uh, became a millionaire within three years, um, sold the company uh, within four. And what happened though, is I became a workaholic. And I share that, Craig, because I got, I got really good at being incredibly productive. Okay, so if you want to talk about like, automation and time Pomodoro, like you name the getting things done categorization, like, but what I discovered is there's, there's this place that it'll bring you. And for me, it's different for different people. I call it the pain line. And what will happen is at a certain level, that pain line will hurt so much that entrepreneurs will not grow into pain. And usually when they hit the pain line, they decide either sell sabotage or stall. Right. And those are never good options. And what happened for me is you know, four years into this business, I come home on a Sunday, two o'clock in the afternoon, promised my fiance at the time I'd be back at 11. Every Sunday I went into the office to get caught up. And I show up at two, walk into our new house we just bought probably a couple months prior. And she's in tears in the kitchen and just beside herself and literally just shakes her head and kind of says, I can't do this anymore and takes the ring off and drops it on the counter and just says, I'm done. And walked Ouch. out of the house. And that Ouch. was that. Yeah. yeah. We never got back together. This was about seven weeks before the wedding. And that was probably the moment where I realized that I needed... I was actually concerned, Craig, for probably six months. I was so driven. I was so hell-bent on being successful that I was worried that maybe I'm just never going to be a guy that has a marriage, that has kids, that figures this out. Like That'll just be my reality. I'm really great at business, but I'm horrible as a person. Like literally I, I thought this to myself and what happens, I moved to Silicon Valley and I start seeing a completely different way of operating, right? These 20 year old kids that build hundred million dollar companies in seven years. I mean, a guy named Naval Ravikant who became oh, a yeah. mentor. Yeah. Naval is today. He's incredibly well known. He's been on Joe Rogan, but when I met him, this is 2008. Like a lot of his wisdom was kind of like shared to people. So I just happened to meet him. And when we were raising around for Flowtown, he got involved and he shared with me leverage. And that's, that's what shifted. So time is constant and we can't buy more. Okay. All we can change is leverage, meaning what do we do with our time? And that equals output. And Naval talks about these four C's of leverage, which is, um, and actually Alex Ramosi calls them the four C's. Naval calls them something else, but it's easy to remember um, if we give them all the same you know, initial letter, but contents leverage, right? So like this podcast could be listened by 10 million people and it changes nothing, right? There's only the initial cost. Software or code, right? The second C is code. Automation, building custom integrations, et cetera. So like uh, automation is huge leverage. Third is capital. We all know capital. And then the fourth is um, collaboration. And that's, that's really the area this book I wanted to focus on because every entrepreneur is hiring people typically to help them, to support them, to get their time back, to buy back their time. But they do it in the wrong order. And that's what the buyback principle is. The buyback principle states that 
we don't hire people to grow our business. We hire people to buy back our time. And I call it the calendar over capacity problem. Now, if you buy back your time the right way, you will actually grow your business. So you will get capacity. It's just the other way will, will not work because there's a certain point where you will hit the pain line, right? Where you're not getting leverage with your time and you'll wake up. And you'll you're the biggest risk to businesses is a CEO building a business that they grow to hate. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Craig, but I've been there. I've, I've built a thing that I thought I would enjoy. And then once I got there, I was like, I hate this. And it's because I didn't understand what I was doing and how to do it. So the way to solve this problem is this framework I call the buyback loop, right? And I do this probably people ask me like, you know, how often do I do this? My life, because it's so dynamic because of like the Ironman training or the other types of things I take on every four months, I got to probably, I'm going to hit the pain line, right? And then from there, I do three things. I audit my calendar, right? And I know you teach this stuff and I do, but I do a time and energy audit. So I look at everything I'm doing and I, I audit it for two weeks, 15 minutes each. And I highlight in green things that give me energy, highlight red things that take my energy, $1 sign next to those tasks. If it's something that's inexpensive to pay somebody else to do or $4 signs or some variation in there, $4 signs is like things that maybe only I can do or a manager can do. And then what I do is I take all the red stuff and the $1 sign stuff or the $2 sign stuff. And I put it in a bucket and that becomes the thing that I go deploy my labor dollars on hiring. And it's funny because even today, the CEO has to go first. Like this is what people need to understand is people are hiring team members for their executives their management team. But step one is for the CEO to free up their calendar to actually, because they'll create the most value. My, my time focused on only things that light me up that are true value creators is going to outweigh anything a new support person or another programmer or another deal person in high-speed ventures is going to do for us, right? And, and what happens is then you, you transfer that to the person. So it's audit, time and energy. Then it's transfer, take these things. That's a skill, as you know, like how do you package up something to give to somebody else to take over? How do you set the rules of engagement and create the measurement and stuff? And then it's fill. And fill is the part where most people fall short because they buy back their time only to watch Netflix, scroll TikTok, sit on a beach. And that's not my MO. My MO is I want to help entrepreneurs create more, be more artists, give more, produce more, do things that light them up. And it doesn't matter where you're starting. So when you ask like, how do people start? This is the process. And it doesn't matter if you're running a hundred million a year empire or you're starting and you have no employees and you make 50 grand a year. Same, same, same process. What changes is where do you start buying back to free up that time? So like for a lot of people, it's typically some kind of administrative assistant part-time and they're helping with things. If you can't afford to have somebody manage your inbox or calendar, which is where I usually recommend my clients start, then you can just start by having somebody, as you know, like in the Philippines or in some part of the world where it's, it's cost effective. And then they just maybe do research for you or buy stuff for you or literally just help you kind of take things that are administrative in nature off your plate. They can, they can send emails to receivables. They can send invoices. They can do a lot of stuff. Again, you need to understand the transfer step. Like, how do you do this? But these are skills that you need to develop. And that's what the fill part is, is fill is free up your time to do things that make you more money. So if you're, if you're a marketer, like do more marketing, get paid. If your hourly rates, $50 and $100, $200, like buy back your time with the administrative assistant and then go do more of that as much as you can until you can't, then you have to fill it with other stuff that increases your skills, 
your beliefs or your character traits. And like, that's the cycle. And that's why it's called the buyback loop because it never ends. To the degree that you want to grow your empire, you have to become world-class at being a time trader because there is no other option to scale. When your kids came along, how did that change your time habits and productivity and effectiveness? And, you know, did that make you a better entrepreneur? Was that a real hard struggle at first? What was your... um, story one with, of, with one of the darkest yeah one of the darkest and challenging periods of my life my wife and i still joke about it here's what happened craig um just through this like crazy world uh we were living in san francisco i had just started clarity my forest company and um she had just started an agency and she finds out she's pregnant <laughs> So it's like, I raised 1.6 million in funding. I've got investors. She's got a business partner, Heather. So like she's, she's committed. I'm committed. We're having a kid. So then we decide to move back to Canada because we wanted to have family around to support us. So we were building a summer home from scratch, which in itself is a big deal. Right. And then, so we had already started that, had the company started. And then because we were moving back, you know why I'm not busy. I woke up one day and thought to myself, you know what, babes, we should build our dream house. Like if this is where we're going to raise our kids, let's make a commitment. Call my brother. He's a home builder. I said, where can we get a piece of land that looks like this? I want you to build us a house within 12 months. And he's like, dude, that's crazy. Let me look into it. And we did. So there is a period of our life. And then as I mentioned, I have Irish twins. Okay. In a two year period, we started two companies, had two kids and built two houses. Wow. So when I say... It was a very challenging time in my life. Like, I don't even remember it. It was so... I had a business coach, this lady named Marcy. And I remember I went for a walk because it felt like there was an elephant sitting on my chest. And I, was, I wasn't in tears, but I was like not making sense. And she's like, are you by yourself? I'm like, yes. She goes, find a bench. And I was like, okay, I found a bench. She's like, sit down. She makes me breathe. She makes me meditate you know, and then she says, talk to me. And what was crazy is I told her everything that was going on. And she, she, she asked us a beautiful question. She goes, if you had to make a list of 10 things that if those things were true, your life would be dramatically easier. What would be on that list and easier, funner, more fulfilled? What would be on that list? And it was because I was in that headspace. And she gave me permission to think a little bit and dream a little bit that I wrote down a night nanny. I don't know if you've ever heard of a night nanny, Craig, but like most people. Oh yeah, we have, we we had them down here. Exactly. Au pair, nanny, whatever. But essentially a night nanny was something that my investor had told me about when we had our first and we didn't because we were trying to like, literally we decided we're going to divide and conquer and we have our mother-in-law and we're going to have help. Well, you get conquered. Just, you get it's like, why are you both suffering? Like, why are yeah. you both sleep deprived for what heroic act? And so what happened was, is like, got a night nanny who would show up at, you know, nine o'clock at night. And then what would happen is my wife was breastfeeding, but she would take the baby, uh, Max at the time, uh, or Noah. And then, uh, she would wake up quickly breastfeed. And then the nanny would take the baby and burp it and put it back to sleep so that Renee could, you know, re- relax and I could sleep. huge leverage. You know, we gave ourselves permission. Um, we'd always had like meal prep, but we actually hired a chef. That was huge. Having somebody come in and track is like, I put on probably 20 pounds, you know, you know, new dad. 
uh, comfort eating while you're breast, you know, while you're, you're like, I'm waking up in the middle yeah. of the night, all of a sudden they got these, uh, the Danone yogurts. And I'm like, these are awesome. Like sign me <laughs> up. So I eat two or three of them, but they're like 300 calories each. Cause they're made with like super creamy. And that's why they tasted so well. So like, you know, that was huge. Um, allowing ourselves to just really audit our calendar and get back to, you know, how can we get more support in our personal lives? And because my wife, you know, still had a business partner, Heather, and was not really working, but showing up and doing stuff. And I was running a venture back company and growing and traveling. And I would say like, the most beautiful thing that came from that as hard as it was, was giving ourselves permission to use the buyback principle to our personal lives, Mm -hmm. to the world we live in today to hopefully inspire some people. Because I know when I share this, some people, they either get inspired or they get irritated. Cause they're like, Ooh, it must be nice. You know, but yeah. the truth is, is we have a full-time dedicated house manager and she is the CEO of anything personal. My wife and I would have to manage. And when I say that, I really mean everything. So it means maintenance. Like if I go mountain biking, I smash my phone, I come home and I give it to Betty and it gets a new one shows up or yeah. uh, deals with my insurance companies and make sure all our insurance are up to date on all our vehicles and our houses and all that stuff takes care of maintenance, takes care of course. Like it's to the point now where um, there's, there's a team that she has like Sarah our house cleaners here today. Like, and she manages the coordination stuff. She manages passports expiring. She manages registration, the every, like literally anything going to stores, purchasing, uh, putting things together. Sometimes she'll hire people to support her, but like for the most part, she does that for us. And, and because of that, Renee and I can be a hundred percent present for our kids. We have easily each 40 hours extra a week. We're not spending weekends, you know, getting through the honeydew list stuff. We're going yeah. skiing We're we're staying active. Um, you know, like we get to spend time with our kids and go to their school stuff and their sports stuff. And like between my executive assistant and my house manager, she reports to my executive assistant. That's the structure I created. Um, and in the book, I have a whole chapter on just managing executive assistant. That's quite unique than I think how most people do it. And the last chapter is actually the buyback lifestyle where I unpack how my house manager and how we integrate this stuff into our lives. Um, it's like, I would sell everything I own and before I would ever get rid of those two people. So that makes sense, Craig. Like, totally dude, makes I would, sense. I would downsize. I, mean, I would literally sell my company, sell my car, sell my downsize my house, and I would keep those two people because there's no other form of leverage for the investment that's higher. And and a ton of different reasons too. It's energetics, it's health, right? Because I don't have to think about my nutrition because it's already been designed and decided and taken care of. There's no decision fatigue. Like yeah. I don't know what I'm having for lunch, but I know it's going to hit my macros and my caloric intake. And I know dinner's figured out and like, and, and like just, there's so many side benefits. is isn't even just like the time component that is intangible. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really important for people listening to go again, they're, they're going to be like, Oh, that, that must be nice. You know, you just listen you to don't people start there. So, yeah, I mean, you go to upwork.com, you go to fiverr.com, you get some virtual assistant. And I mean, like, instead of you going to Amazon and buying something, you just say, Hey, you know, I need three, um, you know, teeth, teething, frozen teething things. And, you know, some diapers and like go to Amazon, buy all this stuff, make sure it gets sent to my house or like here in Mexico, we have corner shop. Like we, we just send our list to our assistant and they do these things. And, and I use voice, right? 
Yeah, we use Voxer. My wife and I, mm-hmm. we have one channel for the house. And it's literally my wife and I just seeing stuff that needs taken care of. And we just drop little voice notes and Betty picks it up and replies and says, add it to the list. Add it to the, and like, we know it's taken care of. And it's just, and again, when I was starting off, it was dry cleaning, like a wash and fold. Sure, exactly. Right? It was somebody coming in for two hours a week to clean. This is not, but a lot of people can't, they, there's a belief around even that stuff that stops people. Cause I've coached a lot, a lot of founders on this topic. That's why I wrote a book on it. Yeah. And the belief of like guilt. So, so specifically women more so than men, I've coached a lot of women CEOs mm-hmm. and they're just like, my mother-in-law is already judgmental. The fact that exists exactly. and this happens. Yeah. Do you know so Shanda like Sumter? I do. Yes. So I love speaking to Shanda's group. Because I'm, I come on and I do this presentation. I'm like, I know your mother-in-law is going to, you know, give you a hard time, but you shouldn't be cooking. You shouldn't be cleaning. You shouldn't be doing this, this, and this. You weren't put here on this earth to do these things. You know, Oprah doesn't do these things. You shouldn't do these things. Either. Like, I'd love, I love doing that because they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you said this and gave me permission to do it. And even if they just stop one of those things, it buys back their time, as you said. And it's so important. But, you know, I grew up on a farm in Canada and my mom is 80, 81 years old. And she has a very large piece of property. And she still does her gardening and all this stuff. And she gets her 85-year-old brother to cut the lawn. And she does the push mower stuff. And whenever she comes and sees me and all the things that I don't do, she doesn't understand it. And I get a little bit of that you know, German farm mom guilt. Uh, but you know, I, I just falls right off me, fortunately, because I'm pretty lazy. I'm selectively lazy. And, but, but that's the approach that I try to help other people with, because I think what it comes down to is my little line is you weren't put here on this earth to do it because you got other things, bigger things to do. And there's opportunity to create employment. Like that was one of yeah. the, I had a, a client, Aaron, and his wife was not on board. And he's like, I don't know how to get through to her. And I said, well, all right, let's try this angle, right? Because I'll attack it. And I have a whole chapter called the time assassins because I had to address the belief side. Yeah. And I say, well, why don't you let her know, A, try it, you know, 500 bucks for a month. Let's just try it. Let's just have someone come in and also let her know, like we're creating employment in our community. Mm-hmm. Like, look, we have the means. This guy was making probably netting half a million a year, 500 bucks a month was a zero, nothing. Yeah. And, and to the person that now gets a new client. And I said, you guys are a pretty cool family. I'm sure like you're going to take care of her and, you know, support her and Christmas presents. And he's like, of course, it's like, that's what I do for my team. I was like, great. So like, let your wife know, like, this is how you can support your community. Cause the challenge was, is he was here and like, I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to do this. I'm running around right. all the time. It's like, babes, I love you. I want to support you, but we need to allow. And that's the language that I try to teach people is, is I want to invite and encourage and let release control to have support. Yeah. I don't, I don't call it shit work. I don't call it the stuff I don't want to do. I don't call it like menial tasks. I don't call it. And I get that it's, it's not beneath me either. Right. Like it's, you want to talk about kids, Craig? So Betty works for us. She does not work for my two boys. She is not allowed to flush the toilet behind them, to pick up their backpacks, to uh, clean their rooms, to do anything. She literally is our team, not their team. Ah, that's a good, that's a great, very important distinction. Cause they said to me once they go like, but you don't pick up after yourself. And I go, I know. And when you get to a place where you can have a team to support you, then you don't have to pick up after yourself. But until that point, 
it's your mess. You pick it up. That's a good one. I like that. Now, speaking of your boys, um, what were the most difficult ages? So they're nine and 10 now. So in the last decade, aside from obviously when, you know, they, they were helpless, what, what was another really difficult period? So, you know, preparing me for this period I, I in my it, life. It was, it's it kind of funny because it's a uh, two sides to a coin. It was my favorite age, three to four, three to five, because they were like little people that were like coming up with it's, 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 it's when they start like seeing things and talking and exploring and doing cute stuff. But yeah. at the same time for us, like, um, one of our kids, Noah, just had a hard time going to bed at night. So it was like always this like 45 minute thing. Our other son, um, you know, didn't play well with other kids. So there was that. So it was challenging in that regards, but, um, it was also my, my favorite. So it's literally when I see like my, our buddies, Nick and, uh, Farron, they come over and they've got little Levine and, um, Eden and they're like three and four and then they're just like my favorite age. Cause they're like super fun and squishy and yeah. all that stuff. But you know, behind the scenes, I'm sure they do stuff with their parents that frustrate them. And it's funny. Cause like, even while my kids are going through that, my wife would ask me, she's like, does he act that way with just you? And I'm like, no, she's like, why? So like, it's even funny that parental experience could be different. Mm-hmm. Like how your kids act solo with you, Craig, maybe completely different than with your wife. So that's why it'll be a different, you know, what was a hard age could be different for different people. But yeah, I would say it was tough for those reasons, just like one nighttime routine and the other one, just like getting in trouble at like school and daycare, but they both outgrew it. And I think the reason why is we just, we were just consistent. Like Hmm. if my, my wife and I invest in us as parents, like we just had our family coach come live with us for three days like flew her up from California, came and lived with us, slept at our house, woke up in the morning and would walk through the routine with us to give us coaching. That is, you know, people will invest in their business, no problem. They'll invest in their health, no problem. They'll invest in their, their, their marriage, no problem. But it's very rare you see people invest in their family and in their kids as a, as a you know, like having somebody that comes and looks at your interactions with your child to give you some real honest feedback, right? Like a coach would. Huh. Yeah. And that was invaluable. Interesting. It's really fascinating. Um, Dan, uh, this has been really, really fun conversation. I don't want to take up any more of your time. Just tell everybody. Uh, so it's buybackyourtime.com to get all the great bonuses and everything that come with your book, right? Yeah. And if you want, you can go buy it on all the different uh, websites. I did the the book deal with uh, Penguin Random House. Oh, cool. Incredible partners. Yep. And um yeah, I'm, I'm on a mission to start a movement to help entrepreneurs, much like yourself, just look at their time differently. Because mm-hmm. my, my goal is to create language around this to force people to confront where their deficit is. Like even in the book, I had to add some leadership content and frameworks because most CEOs are self-inflicting. I call it emotional shrapnel amongst their team. So just because I teach you how to buy back your time, if you show up a certain way, you're not going to keep these people or you're going to yeah. be super critical and they're going to leave. So that may resonate with some of the listeners because they keep hiring and firing all the time. There's only one person that's responsible for that. It's the guy that's looking at you in the mirror. And I really want to like help CEOs become more fully developed, mature leaders so that yeah. they can live this really cool lifestyle, building an empire. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, we we do plan on moving back to to the Vancouver area uh, in the next couple of years. So when I do, maybe I'll I'll uh, we'll do I'll take, up, I'll take up biking and come up to Kelowna. Yeah, either I come to you or you come to me. But um, summertime in Kelowna, wake surfing, mountain biking, wineries, it's a pretty good deal. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, last question. Any any last advice for uh, a new father like myself? Yeah. One thing I, I did that I thought uh, was really important. Uh, my buddy, Jim Shields wrote a book called family board meetings. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing these every quarter since there were three. And okay. essentially you can read the book to get the gist of it, but it's a dedicated half day, one-on-one with each one of your kids doing only things they want to do that ends with a meal. And there's a series of questions that you ask during the meal. And it's really to create a rhythm for intentionality around um, just play. And because a lot of times with parents, I think we get, we get into this, like, I don't want to do that, or I don't want to do this or like, and I'll tell you if my kids were here and I said, Hey, you know, what do you think of board meetings? It's their favorite thing we do. So when, <laughs> and, w- and what we do is we alternate. So my wife and I will each take a kid. And then, so like Saturday will be on the board week. We do them on weekends. So like board meeting Saturday, I'll take one, Renee will take one. And then we swap. Oh, I Sunday. think this guy spoke at um, Yannick's event years ago. Very likely. Yeah. He's yeah. talked about this quite a bit. And I would say probably that. And I made a list of about 16 character traits that I wanted to teach my kids. And every week when I did like hikes with them or mountain biking or went walks in the woods, I would pick one and I, I I put it in my calendar. So it's like, okay, this is critical thinking. This is, you know, um, how to introduce yourself. Like that sounds crazy, but I literally taught my kids when they're little, how to say hello to somebody, high five them, ask them for their name and use it like simple stuff. So those two things are probably the most, uh, I think minimum effective dose, biggest return. Fascinating. Thank you so much, Dan. I really, really appreciate you. appreciate your time. Appreciate uh, that you bought some time for us. And this is really fantastic. I'm wishing you all the best with the book. Thanks, Craig. It's an honor. Appreciate it.